Hello, this is Bal Kadmon, and I'd like to thank you for watching and or listening this podcast. This is episode two of the Mages and Mystics podcast, and I have to say, the first episode, I couldn't believe the response. I mean, seriously, thank you so much. I mean, I got so many comments, so many emails saying, my God, this is what they needed to hear. And, and, and you know, it's just... It's absolutely crazy. I mean, I, I dismantled comments on YouTube, and that's been a, a already like that for years, only because, you know, a lot of us who um, teach in this space, we you know, we get trolled and stuff like that, and it was almost a daily occurrence, so it was impossible for me to, to, to keep up with it, so I just disabled the comments. But I did get many wonderful comments and emails and questions and just everything. So, you know, thank you. This was a really great start uh you know thank you so much so in this episode uh, obviously i'm gonna answer questions but this time instead of two questions about certain topics i'm gonna answer one on a certain topic and then one personal one because the personal one's gonna take a little bit more time the first question is related to the ancient mesopotamia course that i'm about to release and the question is, you mentioned that you are releasing an ancient Mesopotamia course. And in your book on uh, Pazuzu, you mentioned that the Sumerians, the Akkadians, the Assyrians, they're all different civilizations. Uh, do you mean that they're just like the same people that just went through different phases in their uh, evolution? Well, first, that's a good question. And I do address that in the course, but I will address it here as well. I think one of the biggest misconceptions of ancient Mesopotamian history is that it was one homogenous group of people, that the Sumerians, the Akkadians, the Assyrians, all those, they're just sort of different names for the same people. But no, no, they are completely different. Uh, and some of them couldn't be more different. Like, for example, the Sumerians, right? even though they were present in ancient Mesopotamia, they were not Semitic people. They were not Semitic people. They migrated from another place. And it's still debated, you know, what type of language it is. And I address all that in the course, but they think it might just be a linguistic isolate, that there's no corollaries in any language. But I'll get into that in the course, because it really is its own, own module. But the Akkadians and the uh, the Assyrians, they and the Babylonians, that is, though they are Semitic, so their languages were uh, fairly similar in many ways, very different from the Sumerian. I mean, if you look at the Sumerian language and compare it to the Akkadian one, it's it's it sounds very different. But interestingly enough, because the Sumerians, I guess you could say, came first compared to like the Akkadians and stuff, even though a lot of these civilizations were already sort of present, but they weren't, you know, uh, in power. But let's just for the sake of ease, say that the Akkadians came after the Sumerians. And again, it's much more complicated than that. They didn't forget the Sumerian influence. They incorporated it in many ways. It And although the language, the Sumerian language wasn't really used anymore and day to day 
But it was kept alive, not only by the Akkadians, but even the Babylonians, in liturgical texts, religious texts. So you could still find Sumerian language in those texts. And it's really interesting. It, it, it reminds me, and again, I cover this in the course, it reminds me of Latin right i mean latin was part you know part of ancient rome and then when the church developed the catholic church developed out of rome they and over time they maintained latin uh for liturgical purposes they maintained it for educational purposes and it's sort it was sort of like that with sumerian and also obviously cuneiform which was uh, originally started with the sumerians was then passed down to the subsequent civilizations. So the Sumerians were like a bedrock of ancient Mesopotamian history. But they were not, in fact, the same people. And uh, with, within the entire Mesopotamian history, different peoples came together. So it, there was no homogeny here. And I covered that in the course. But saying that, it does not mean that people did not mix. Uh, there is evidence that Sumerians and Akkadians did mix. And, uh, you know, so, so um, the old culture didn't die out completely, genetically, that is. It, 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 it continued, but uh, it was mixed in with the local population. And there were several populations. Remember, we, we, we always associate Mesopotamia with being just like Iraq, right? But it's much more than Iraq. I mean, it, it took on parts of Syria and Turkey. and uh, You know what I mean? It was, it was a, a huge location. And so it was not one people, even though it's often referred to as one homogenous civilization. But it is not. And even the gods evolved. I mean, there was uh, uh, someone very important, and I mentioned her in the course, that through her writings, she integrated sort of some of the Sumerian religion and Akkadian religion and brought the religions to life in some way. And it's really because of her that we have a lot of information about these entities and these deities and gods that they uh, worshipped. So, and again, I have a complete video just about her. So hopefully that answered your question. The next question is a personal one, and I'm going to take just a little bit of time on that, even though on this one I, I took a nice decent time. But this one is an interesting one. It's about, and, and I covered some of this in a video uh, about a year or two years ago, something like that. And it's about sort of how I got rid of the fear of being an occultist, like working in the occult. How did I sort of transcend and get over uh, any type of religious dogma or, or, or um, fear that I had? And like I said in that video, you know, we weren't, we weren't raised in a religious family, but there was enough of it that you feared certain things. And although at some point I did get deeper into Judaism, I always had this love for magic, this love for the gods and the goddesses, especially the goddesses. And it always clashed with me because I was like, I still had that residual fear, you know, the, the fear that, oh my God, maybe the Bible's right. 
maybe these these are demons, you know. And then having Catholicism on my on the other side, you know, didn't help. Even though my grandmother was quite a witch in her in her own right, and uh, she uh, actually on both sides to be to be honest, but on my mother's side, my grandmother had like novenas and stuff to all these saints, but. Man, when she needed when she needed some help, she called Satan. <laughs> so I was lucky to have that. But still, there was still that this notion that um, the occult was dirty, the occult was sinful, and it took a long time to get over it. It, it really did. I had moments where, and I'm sure a lot of you have this too, where you know you're deep into the occult. You're like, yes, this is great. I feel great. And then, like, at bed, before you go to bed, you say a little prayer, just in case. (laughs) And I had many years of that. Uh, Many years of, like, look, you know, goddess Isis calling her. And then at the end of the night, I'm like, God, um, just in case, you know, don't don't condemn me. Don't curse me. (laughs) And, uh, but it, it after a while, as I got older, that felt wrong. Like uh, all of a sudden, I was like, you know, you're gonna have to decide what what's good for you. What what do you want to do? What do you want to believe? What do you want to feel? You know, and 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 really iron it out. And the thing is that you don't have to be one or the other. I mean, I incorporate everything, as I said in my previous podcast. So now. I'm okay with calling Yahweh, Adonai. I can even, you know, and I could put the tefillin on, which is in my book, the, the tefillin magic. And at the same time, you know, call on demons and, and, and everything. And now it's the same thing. And I don't have that fear anymore. I don't have that fear. Uh, I actually feel more comfortable, you know, praying to the goddess praying to Mother Mary than the Jewish roots that I had. I feel so much more comfortable. Actually, uh, I couldn't imagine ever taking up the Jewish mantle again. You know, I, I, I couldn't imagine it. But I'm not scared of it. I'm not worried about it. Like, for example, there's a, 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 a Judaica store here on the Upper West Side here in, in Manhattan. And this place has been around since I was a kid. Okay, so they're still going on, and, and it's uh, Orthodox Jews. Actually, the only Orthodox Jews that I actually uh, get along with. I've, I've had some clashes with Orthodox Jews in the past. These um, are, and they are Orthodox. I mean, they are militant Orthodox, but they realize that, you know, you get more with honey than you do with vinegar. You know what I mean? So they treat everyone wonderfully. doesn't matter what what background you have and my sister who married who who got married you know many years ago uh she had a jewish wedding actually it wasn't religious but they officiated it i mean they brought the chuppah and all that stuff so uh i've known them forever so when i go into their store even though i can get all the books you know online right and cheaper for that matter but I'd like to go in there to support them because I know that they were struggling for a while. And he told me, the owner told me that, 
you know, their rent is like $15,000 a month. And that was reduced from 18,000. And it's a, it's a decent space. I mean, I think they're still getting a deal in this area. I, I have a feeling that that little location probably could get 20, 25,000. But anyway, I mean, it's still a lot. And so from time to time, I go in there to support them. You know, I'll buy stuff, books from them. I'll buy, you know, uh, religious paraphernalia from them. And sometimes, and I, and I never time it for that. I, it just sort of happens. I walk in and they're having a prayer service. But in order to, you know, in the middle of the day. Uh, now, the prayer service requires 10 people. And it's called the minyan, right? Or minyan, as they're sometimes called in the Ashkenazi word. But minyan, it, you know, obviously is the Hebrew pronunciation. They'll ask me, and they know me, so uh, they're like, can you join the minyan? And that requires me to go through the whole afternoon prayer, or mincha, mincha it's called. And I'll do it. I'll do it. I, I actually practically know it by heart, because there was a time where I was doing that all the time, you know, way back, you know, in the, in the late 80s. So, yeah, and I'm okay with that. I mean, look, I have Yahweh tattooed on my wrist and on my on my left wrist. So now I'm comfortable with that, uh, but it's a process. And the process involves you sort of realizing what I mentioned in the last podcast is that it's part of the same tapestry. There's there's no there's no war here. There's there's just another vantage point we have taken these ideas and weaponized them we weaponize them because we want to be part of a group we want to be special we want to be just separate from everyone is because there's something intrinsic in humanity you know and i just don't understand it it's 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 humanity hates itself it hates itself and when it when we find groups that we can relate to at first it's great right it's it's peace oh we don't really have problems with anyone else and then these groups morph into these monsters they morph into these religions and so all of a sudden the occult space is actually worse off than Muslims against Christians and Jews against Muslims and all of these groups that, you know, if they just sat down with each other, actually, you, could, you might be able to get somewhere. But they're, I mean, they're, they're worse. They're worse. I've never seen so much infighting. And even when I present controversial views, like, for example, on Lucifer, people know what my stance on Lucifer is. If you don't, you can go to my YouTube channel. You'll find two videos on it. I got death threats for it. I mean, seriously, death threats? You know, I had Christians, uh, more specifically Catholics, listen to uh, and watch that, that podcast, and they didn't even threaten me, and that also rocked their very foundation. But in the cult, I got death threats. I got emails saying, you know, you're going to, I'm going to get, I mean, for fuck's sake, come on, people, come on. We're not, you know, we're not like eight years old here, you know? The whole point of us running to the occult was to get away from all that. I mean, I don't know why we created a fucking religion out of everything. Anyway, I'm, I'm digressing here. Uh, but it does piss me off. <laughs> and uh, it's just, it's unnecessary. So on a superficial level, we have to realize that the religions that we were grown up in or indoctrinated in, they are self-referential. They 
declare their truth using their own proof. There is no outward objective proof. So you have to realize that is their goal. Okay, the goal of religion, of any religion, is to essentially declare its truth. And this is true for every single religion. Okay, it's just part of part of the fabric of being religious is to declare itself as the truth. And the problem with that is obviously when any religion declares itself a true uh, it, as the true religion, it's going to be antagonistic towards others. It's just how it evolves. That's how it is. Whenever you make yourself a unicorn, everything else becomes sort of less than. So when you think about that, think about that's where they're coming from when they are telling you our religion is right. I mean, Judaism is is very much like that too, because when you think when you're when you read some of the texts, it says that the Jews are very special and that in some texts it says the world was created for the Jews. So when you grow up with that type of ideology, some people are going to take that literally and seriously and are going to then teach their children that and it and that becomes sort of instilled. You know, and or on the Christian side saying, well, the New Testament has essentially replaced the Old Testament. Anyone who doesn't believe in Jesus is going to hell. And of course, I'm, it, it's a little bit more complicated than that, but I'm just giving you a gist. So with that being hammered into your mind from childhood, you're going to believe it. We're, 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 we're creatures of habit, not only in, in action, but also in thought. That's why people who constantly worry, what happens? They become more and more uh, uh, consumed with worry. It doesn't get less. It doesn't, it doesn't decrease until they actually do something to help decrease it. So when you have an idea pumped into your head over and over and over again, it doesn't make it truth, but it does make it a habit of thought. And so when you approach it from that angle, you'll start realizing, wait a minute, you know, no religion is a mon- has a monopoly on truth. And so when you can come to terms with that emotionally, okay, because logically, that's the first step to a- acknowledge that logically. But then to acknowledge it emotionally is where you're going to see that change. And it's going to be gradual. And that's why you shouldn't be feel guilty. Like if all of a sudden you're slowly making progress, you're, sl- you're slowly accepting uh, that you are an occultist, you are Wiccan, you're witchcraft, whatever you want to call yourself, whether you call yourself right-hand path, left-hand path, whatever, you have to accept it emotionally. And the things that once you do that, the ties of religious upbringing will start, start to unravel. Because right now it looks like a Gordian knot, right? I mean, you look at it, it's like, oh my God, how can I unravel this? You know, it, it, and, and it sounds easier said than done, but to change your emotions is, you know, it's a process. So it took me a while as well. But little by little, you can do it. You read books on the origins of the Bible, the origins, because there, there, there are origins to all of these texts. You don't learn them when you're inside the religion, right? You're not going to, there are not many Orthodox Jews out there 
admitting that there might be multiple writers to the Torah. Some might, but most will not, because it's, it says Moses, you know? And the same thing with the Gospels. If you go to a very religious person, chances are they may not know that there are four different versions of the book of Matthew, and one was chosen over the others. But that's history. There's, there's actual history there. So if you also read the history and realize how these ideas came to be, it will also help you unravel the emotional attachment that those religions have on you that are preventing you from exploring the occult. With me, at first, I had to cut clean. Like I had to cut clean. I, you know, I, I, I didn't want to have anything to do with Judaism, Christianity. I didn't want to deal with any of that because that's just the other extreme, the other emotional extreme. Now I'm like, you know what? Fuck this. And then I delved right into the occult. But then as you mature in the practice, and of course this is an example from my life, right? Everyone has it a little bit different. I then started to reincorporate those things because then I realized, you know what? These religions are no different from the ancient religions. They were also formed out of the people, right? We have to remember that. And so I started to incorporate these ideas. And sometimes you can actually see some of these religious doctrines are literally pulled whole cloth out of polytheistic uh, traditions. I mean, Yahweh was a tribal god before he was the god of the universe. You know what I mean? So it does exist. This information does exist. And it will help take out that emotional sting uh, and that emotional attachment you have to your religion. But you know what, what's beautiful is once you get that emotional t- attachment out, you can then reincorporate it back into your occult practice. And you won't feel guilty about it. And you won't feel weird about it. And that is freedom right there, where you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry. You know, you can call Pazuzu on Monday and Jesus tomorrow. And and you won't feel weird about it. You know what I mean? You won't feel weird about it. And that's, listen, that's my experience. And I know there's a lot of people out there that have a similar experience. So I know I, I took a long time answering that question. But I think it's really important to keep in mind that there that you can get over any type of feeling of doubt or, or, or from the indoctrination from childhood. You can. It's an emotional process, but it starts with logic first. It starts with, okay, let me analyze these ideas to begin with. Why do I even believe in them? Or why do my parents believe in them? Whatever. And then work through it. And then slowly but surely, it will unravel and you'll be free. With that, that is the end of this podcast. I will see you in the next one.